This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Podcast. In this episode, I have Ryan Smith from Honey Z. And in this episode, we talk about Arizona and many other Western destinations that folks are trying to go hunt but sometimes they just can't draw that tag they really want and what's going on there i know that's a continued conversation from last time ryan has a different take on this as well as a lot on arizona that's a destination state for a lot of people it's on my list to eventually go hunt there as well as a few other states and that's a common trend things we're seeing of people wanting to hunt multiple states in a year or in a span of five years. So enjoy this episode with Ryan and thanks for listening. All right, Ryan, thanks for jumping on the Western Hunting Podcast. And uh, we've got a similar theme going on in this episode as well as a previous one with John Stallone and been asking a few other people as well, just a little bit about what the heck is going on uh, in the, the drawn tags world. And we have planned to hunt in the past, but that was something that just fell through. Uh, my wife was pregnant. It didn't happen. Going down to Arizona was, was, uh, going to be a trick and probably an irresponsible thing to do. And I'm glad <laughs> that I did it. I'm glad I, I, I bailed on that. I don't have any regrets. It was what was best for my family at the time. And now I look at some things and see, well, shoot, it's different. Uh, things have, have uh, happened down there as far as over the counter, uh, closures, that sort of thing. Um, big drought. Now all of a sudden, a whole bunch of rain and lots of changes going on. So, wouldn't you? Would you mind real quick introduce yourself again, uh, and we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, no problem. All right. So my name is Ryan Smith. I have an Instagram page called Hunt AZ, uh, and I basically just try to connect the hunters of Arizona or anybody that's planning to come to hunt Arizona. Um, try to connect them with rules, regulations, um, 
help try to share each other's stories, triumphs, trials, whatever it is. Uh, basically just trying to keep the hunting community together. Uh, I feel like we have enough people against us that we don't need to be bashing each other. We don't need to be taking shots at each other. We need to be celebrating each other for lack of better terms. So on this page, uh, again, like I said, I put out rules, regulations, any changes, um, draw deadlines, um, hunt start dates, whatever. But then I also share everybody else's stories. Uh, this, this page has never really been about me. Uh, I try to make it about the local hunting community the best I can. And it doesn't matter if it's somebody from Colorado comes down here and shoots a spike and they tag me in it and I see it, boom, I share their spike. I don't care that they're a non-resident. Uh, as long as the animal was harvested here in Arizona, that's basically my big push. Uh, and again, it goes anywhere from a spike coos deer to a 400-inch elk, whatever, anything in between. You got squirrels, rabbits, whatever it is. Um, so I'm just trying to share everybody's story and keep everybody connected the best I can. Uh, let's see, I've been in Arizona for about seven, eight years now, uh, active duty military. And yeah, that's about me in a nutshell. I got a few kids. Uh, one of my kids is starting to hunt this year, so I'm super excited for that. Uh, unfortunately, with this whole uh, growing difficulty to draw tags, he didn't even draw a cow elk tag this year in Arizona. I kind of thought he would have had a good chance at drawing a cow elk tag or a, a youth cow tag, but uh, didn't get that, but we'll move on to deer, uh, the deer draw that's happening here soon. So that's kind of, that's kind of me in a quick little summary there. Well, awesome. Thanks for, thanks for, uh, yeah, the scheduling issues I had and tech issues. So glad to get you on and talk about a little bit about this. And I'm going to put you on the spot with a story. Think about a crowding story while I kind of share one I had this last weekend. I was going to share this in a shed hunting episode that I was going to do here pretty soon. And, um, here's an idea I had, I'm only going to go so far with it. <laughs> I was going to do a secrets of shed selling and buying. Um, and I don't know if I'll make any friends doing it, but I am going to do a little bit of a shed hunting and kind of the antler world. Uh, it shared a little bit about some of that and prices, what you can, what we can sell for, what we can buy for, uh, what we're looking for, uh, and all those things wrapped into that. And then I had a story about the shed hunting trip this weekend that had to do with overcrowding. And my dad and I hiked into a spot that has kind of been my elk shed honey hole. And I know it's early April. It's a little, little early, but there's still plenty of bigger bulls have dropped. And, uh, I wanted to get in there. I need to go for a hike. I loved early April. It's, I got a four day weekend this week. So I said, why not? It's a great time to get out. My dad and I hiked in. I put him through the ringer, and he was—he uh, did great. He hiked over some stuff that um, I, a lot of buddies said would have complained about, and said, "I ain't, we ain't doing this. This is dumb." Uh, so he he tagged along, and we went up and down some nasty things, and camped the night. Went, did a little walk, and found a little white shed of some kind of a little average mule deer, <laughs> and then. Uh, the next day we did a pretty big hike and we found boot prints. And if anybody from the Midwest knows, we just, West Midwest, we know we just got hammered with a big old storm and I was concerned about that messing up our stuff. So there's, it wasn't even possible to be shed hunting five days ago. And we just did this shed hunt two days ago. 
uh, it was there was just too much snow. It wasn't going to happen. So I got up there and I was like, there is boot prints up here. Someone was pushing the limits. You've got to be kidding me. Who is up here? And how did they get in here? And it kind of looked like they accessed from a different area. So that's got me wondering how they're getting in there when I just did a nasty, it was only two miles, but just nasty, nasty, not very fun up. Uh, what we're dealing with now is all of these slopes have the snow melts off, but the ground is still frozen in April. And when the ground is frozen, oh, you've got you've got zero ability to dig your toes in. It sucks. It's horrible. Yeah. Uh, so you just got this. It's almost better to have snow on the hillside. Uh, so yeah. So we hiked around, followed these boot prints all around. I don't know what it is. You got this huge country, and all of a sudden you can find nothing but the other guy's boots. Even though I know it's the same the guy had the same gait and the way he is pigeon not pigeon toed, but what's the opposite of pigeon toed? Uh, and he had his uh, dog, his toes pointed outwards as he was walking. And so I, I avoided that. I went and found a few little white old muley sheds and it was fine, but I was finding zero elk sheds in a spot that I, I normally have done really well in. And we decided at the end of the day, we had enough. We both had put in quite a few miles and we were hiking out and I see this kid and his dad up on this ridge line, and they're flying a drone. Like, okay, what are you, oh, man. What are you doing? You're flying, <laughs> flying a drone all over this uh, national forest, which I don't know the legalities of, of this. On Tuesday when I go to the office, I'm going to ask some questions. But we hike, start hiking out, and they flew that drone right over top of me because I was, I was over a – going along this really steep side hill on the ridge to stay on the public. And that, that drone just came – it was low, hovering over all the little meadows and things like, they are shed hunting. They are looking for sheds with their drone. And flying that, and he flew within like 20 yards of me, paused, and then flew back up. It was like, just irritated me. It really irritated me. And Dad, Absolutely. Dad and I joked about shooting it down, but uh, it's just things running through my head. <laughs> I don't, so I don't know. I don't know how this really works, and this is hearsay, 100% hearsay. But I heard if you shoot down a drone, because certain drugs, depending on the drone, I guess, um, but they follow FAA regulations. <laughs> so it can be taken as far as they want to take it as to huh. shooting down an aircraft. But again, I, I don't know the truth on that. You just said that and it popped. I, somebody told me that recently. Uh, I work at an airport, at an, on an Air Force base at an airport. Right. So I hear kind of all sorts of these crazy stories. Huh. Uh, so I don't really know the, the truth of that, but that would have been my first thought too, is I want to shoot that thing down. Yeah. Or at least I was, but it was close enough. I was going to pick up a rock and chuck it at it. Just like, like, Hey, not cool. Yeah. Not, not okay to be hovering over me. I don't like this. You're, I just posted a video too today of kicking over a rock, Karen. I hate him. It's yeah, because, I saw that. <laughs> because I'm in an area where I feel like I'm alone and I, and no one's been there. I know other people have been there and there's signs of it. But when I see those rock Karens, I get annoyed because it's, cause it's like uh, someone was right here and they had to tell everybody that they were right here. And then same with that, that drone. I just felt like my connection to the outdoors was ruined right there by gone. I just hiked. Me and my dad are not in shape right now, and we did like 18 miles in a day and a half. That was a lot for us. We're sore. <laughs> not, I'm feeling it. So that was, it was just an invasion of my privacy and my time, and I hated it. 
absolutely hated it. So I, I'm curious if there's some regulations on that as far as uh, uh, on national forest, but we're pretty loose with our, our shed hunting laws here in South Dakota. So it's probably nothing that they were doing, doing wrong. And then there was also a kid with them too. So what am I going to do? Throw a rock and break the kids, kids drawing. So it just, if it's, I'm usually a fan of, if it's legal, go for it. Um, but yeah, just, just cause it's not the way I choose to do it or just cause I don't agree with it. doesn't mean you can't. I mean, if it's legal, it's legal. Right. And I feel like if that's legal now, before you know it, that's going to be gotten away with. Oh yeah. So that one just that one just kind of rubbed me wrong. I thought, I mean, I've never been a been a standing on the side of, ooh, that's too far. That's unethical. But that one pushed me. That one pushed me oh, a little yeah. far. But. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, here in Arizona, you can't use them. I, I think this is pretty much everywhere. But you can't use them, obviously, during a hunt, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's like after you use it, it's a twenty four or forty eight hour. Um, time period to from when the time you use it to the time you can hunt. Um, but I know, I do know somebody recently that got in trouble for harassing a herd of elk with one and they weren't really, it didn't seem like they were harassing it, but I guess it's all in interpretation of the, the game warden. Right. Oh, right. Um, and so he just flew it over the elk and then he kind of came back and, and looked at him, but he held it up high enough and, and there's video. He's got the video. Uh, somebody called it in for, for harassing the elk. Um, Mm. but I just, I can see the more these drones are being used, people are going to try to walk that fine line of what's legal and what's not right until they just get completely like right now, this, they're like with what you said, you know, with, with shed hunting with it, are they going to, are they going to allow it? Are they going to say, well, you can't shed hunt with it during this time or this way or, or whatever weird, loophole stipulations that the that they these agencies put on it um but then i think before you know it they're just going to be completely banned for that purpose but we'll we'll see i mean that's a whole different story i think oh yeah and and like anybody that has a helicopter they can't go flying around look for stuff i mean that's right (laughs) that's that's on the extreme side but that happens 100 it does absolutely does but uh yeah any overcrowding idea things or stories you've heard that uh kick this conversation off um let's see an overcrowding story one that i had personally uh i had a coos tag this was like 20 2019 i think and we weren't we weren't hunting like a super exclusive area like this is pretty pretty popular area to be honest with you so i wasn't expecting a whole lot but like my family was at camp and so the three or four of us that were hunting, we kind of went out in every spot. We, we were like, we're going to go here and glass here. And everywhere we went, there was a vehicle, um, which is honestly pretty typical for this area. But it's it's like a race to see who gets there first. Hmm. Well, so then we go up and around. And we, there's this big, like, loop, I guess, that goes up through the, the mountainside. Maybe I think it's like 11 miles. Everywhere we want to go, there's there's somebody there, somebody there. So we stop one spot, we're glassing, and we find a few few small bucks, and this side-by-side comes and parks right next to us. And I'm talking like 20, 30 yards away. And I I mean, I'll, I guess I'll admit that I was in the wrong here. I just like laid into this dude because I was so pissed. Everywhere I went, there was a truck or a side-by-side or multiple vehicles. And so then this guy parks next to me. We finally find somewhere to glass. This guy parks here. And I just laid into this dude. 
like, how the hell can you come and park next to somebody? Like, how do you have that mentality that you can just sit next to somebody else and glass the same hill they are? It, it, to me, it just doesn't make sense. Some people that makes sense and some people that's fine. But to me personally, move on. It, it's because it's, you, you did that. You had to gave the other people that courtesy of yeah. you saw them and like, all right, moving on, moving on, moving on. And then when yeah. someone didn't return that courtesy, I've been there. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's a hundred percent public land. This is all state trust, whatever, honey. I laid into this guy for like two or three minutes. And then he's like, oh, hey man, I'm sorry to tell you, but we're going the complete opposite. He was just parking there. I thought he was going to get out and park in glass. So anyways, I've ripped this guy up and down. I probably had some choice words. And then he just like turned around and walked up the other hill. And he goes, you see that hill back there? We're going there. He had a mile hike to get to where he wanted the glass from. So first off, there's, I guess, lesson number one. People like just talk to somebody before you lay into them. Try to have a conversation. Try to be civil. That was 100% my fault. It didn't need to go that way. But anyway, so now I'm all pissed off even more. And we like, we decided, let's go back to camp and let's just go eat lunch, whatever. So we go, we start working our way out or to this, towards this other spot. And we're like, let's just pull off here. We'll glass real quick. And to our surprise, nobody was there. And uh, it totally worked out. We found a buck. He wasn't anything huge, little three by three whitetail. Um, found him, sat on him for the day, trying to get him to stand up or sat there glassing him. I don't want somebody to think I literally sat on the steer. Anyways, um, <laughs> those are the, but so we sat there, watched him for a couple hours. He finally stood up. We shot him, carried him down the hill. Kids got to be a part of it. So it was super cool. It ended up working out in the end, this overcrowding issue, but I didn't get to go to the other five or six spots that I had intended to go to, uh, which I knew would have yielded much better bucks because I had been watching much better deer in there. But again, that's, partially my fault for hunting crowded popular areas yeah but that's kind of the, that was the first story that came to my mind when yeah. you when you brought that up yeah good lessons and learned in uh um, multiple ways but so, yeah and like i said i own that 100 percent. like that was totally <laughs> totally my fault but uh, whatever. yeah we're yeah. we're often humbled quite a bit yeah. in situations like that so arizona is is a state that's been on my list and it's been on a lot of guys lists and that the over-the-counter stuff is, has blown up to the point where it's, it's caused some regulation change and a different approach by the giving fish down there. So um, can you run us past, like, what the heyday of the over-the-counter st- stuff was like down in Arizona? Heyday as in maybe, I don't know, five, ten years ago? Yeah. Because uh, that, so- that's kind of been it, right? The, like, the mm-hmm. coos deer hunting has been top notch and really, really good from what I yeah, kind of picked up. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it was, and you know what, I'm, I'm seeing a lot more deer, a lot of big deer still being killed. People are finding different ways to hunt them. People are leaving those, those crowded areas. I mean, you still get your DIY or your weekend, your weekend DIY guys or your truck hunters, whatever road hunters, whatever you want to call them that are still going to hunt these popular areas and still hunt these deer. But, um, I've been seeing a lot of quality bucks still killed, but to go back, um, the over the counter thing used to be awesome because it, you had the, you had the ability to apply for your tags. And if you didn't get drawn, then you just bank on that over the counter deer tag and you go hunt August, September and December archery deer. 
and it was basically any antler deer, mule deer or coos deer, uh, depending on the unit, what the unit allowed. But you had the opportunity to build points and draw or apply for premier units. And then when you don't get drawn, you, you just still got a good fall, hunt. You fall back on a good archery hunt. Yeah. And the way Arizona works is it, no matter what, you have a chance to draw any tag you apply for. It might be a very slim 0.01% chance, but the chance is there and those chances happen. So a lot of people used to sit. So there's actually, they used to have, there's a couple ways they would handle this. They would sit on those points and sit there and, and okay, I'm going to put in for the strip. Well, I know I don't have a high chance, but there's a chance. Well, you don't get it. Well, then you fall back on your archery tags. We also used to, well, we still do have this, this system. Um, there's leftover tags. And so people would apply for the crazy hunts, the low draw odds. They wouldn't get them. And then two weeks later, a list of leftover tags come out. And I remember back in 20, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago, that these lists would come out. And there was a few units that would have multiple hundred, two, three hundred, four hundred leftover coos deer tags. So it was like, you just apply for whatever hunt you want. You don't get it. And then they would two weeks after the the draw happens on this Monday, we're accepting uh, leftover tag applications. So you would apply for um, let's use, let's I'm trying, I'm trying not to like blow things up for people. Cause you know how that goes on social yeah. media and you're saying unit names here. You know what? Let's use unit 14. Arizona doesn't have a unit 14. So we're going with that. Let's say you apply for your deer tag over here. And then you look and see on the leftover list, unit 14 has 200 leftover coos deer tags. First come first serve. You can either mail them in or you can go down to game and fish on that day. And if they'll, if the tags are available, you just grab one and go. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome because my first few coos deer tags, I was building points for a late December rifle hunt where I wanted to hunt kind of pre-rutting coos with a rifle. And I would apply, 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 and then didn't get it. But I would go pick up an early November leftover tag for unit 14, wherever, you know, whatever. And it was awesome because I was just killing coos every year and not burning my bonus points. So you'd have opportunity. And that's the thing yeah. that, that guys are struggling with now that they're used to the the old this is like every state now really they're used to what their system was of oh, i'd always hunt this i'd always hunt this and then having having to add some strategery which we can talk about later but um having to have a plan that that is is not just your regular i know i'm going to draw this tag i'm always going to have this fallback on which that sounds like a great great opportunity and as a resident is that is is that still pretty doable to to be getting that kind of thing or is it uh and i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's like pretty doable it's definitely not as doable as it was 10 years ago hmm. um but it's it's doable i mean those opportunities still there uh i remember the first year I ever did it, I applied for my coos tag, didn't get it, and then went into the leftover. And when the leftover list came out, there was a muzzleloader hunt that had 300 tags straight um, at the time of the draw, had 300 tags. 
Then there was when the leftover list came out, there was 285 leftover tags. Hmm. So there was only 15 of those tags drawn. So I just put in for that and I drew it. And then that was like our fallback. We know that muzzy hunt's going to be there. So we just did it. And then over the last handful of years, I've watched that hunt just dwindle down. And now I think this past year, there was like seven leftover tags for that hunt. And quality of that hunt going down as well? Or um, is that tough no, to No, I, I, I don't think quality of that hunt has gone down. Uh, that hunt, that unit holds a lot of quality deer, but it also the, uh, it gets hammered during the rifle seasons. Uh, I mean, the other, the other rifle seasons are, uh, they probably hold, I think they were at the time they were, the other rifle seasons were putting out 700 tags per hunt. And I think there was four or five other hunts. So, I mean, it was 2,500 tags. So you had, you did, when it came to that muzzleloader hunt, you did have to work hard, but it was like, there wasn't a ton of people out. So the deer were getting a break. Uh, the quality of the hunt was still there, but now what I think is, is kind of putting it down and I'm, I'm guilty of this. You go hunting, your buddy draws a tag. You got four or five people out there looking for one guy's deer. Right. And so that kind of runs us back to that overcrowding thing. Well, if you've been doing this muzzleloader hunt that we're talking about for years, you're trying to go out there and, and do this on your own. And you're thinking, okay, it's calm. It's quiet. The deer are kind of not being pushed around right now, but then everywhere you go, there's a truck and it's because this guy's got a tag and they're trying to put a guy on this hill, this hill, and this hill. I'm I'm guilty of that. I've done it. I've done it for elk and I've done it for deer. I've been a part of those groups. Whatever. How, yeah. How how fun would that be? I mean, I've heard yeah. it's the same thing that happens in, in Northwest Colorado with the unit two, 201, unit 10, those elk tags in there. Those are, and we're not blowing up any unit. If you draw that, good for you. <laughs> That's a yeah. 20 plus, 30 plus unit. Um, and, and there's, I've shed hunted in those, those areas and it's kind of crazy to see you find the little pocket and you can't look 25 yards without seeing a, uh, elk rub. Just, there's so many bulls in those areas, but yet, yeah, you get a, you got a guy on every, every ridge looking down, looking for your buddy's bull it still adds to some of that pressure. So, yeah. Because I know, I know if a buddy draws one of those tags, like I'd sure like to go. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and I mean, that's kind of how we, like a lot of us get through the hunting season. You know, you're going multiple years without drawing a tag. So I, I think this year was year 10 for me for not drawing an elk tag in Arizona. Um, and if I, if I'm not going on other people's hunts, how the hell am I going to get any experience elk hunting? And I'm not just saying this for me. I mean, I've right. been on a, a ton of elk hunts. And I go to other states and whatnot. But as a nor as a just a, a DIY guy that doesn't travel across the you know to other states to go hunt elk, uh, but he is also drawing one tag every ten years. How is he going to get any better at elk hunting? How is he going to get any exposure to it? How is he going to be a part of it? Your buddy draws a tag and you go help him. That's I mean yeah. that's what it is. We all do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but the other thing, so with that muzzy hunt, the other thing uh, that I think brought the popularity to that tag was maybe not to that tag, but to muzzleloader hunting coos deer in general or, or animals across the West is the efficiency of a muzzleloader now. Think about mm-hmm. 10 years ago, you, you know, muzzleloaders were 
starting to get to where they're shooting long distances. But now I see guys that are shooting five to a thousand yards with a muzzle loader. The hell are you talking? Like that's a rifle to me. That's yeah. a single shot rifle. What's your? Um, what can you guys have for muzzle loaders there? It, uh, you're talking like optics wise. Yeah, like can you have, can you have optics, scopes and all? Yeah. You have to load yeah. from the muzzle, or you can load from the breech, or. Uh, I don't know. I'm not 100 percent on the muzzle or breech load, uh, but yes, you can have a scope it's not primitive sights or anything mm. like that yeah um so you can have a scoped gun uh one a gun the uh, muzzleloader i shot a coos with i actually shot my first one with the muzzleloader i shot this thing at like 300 yards with a muzzleloader and crazy yeah <laughs> and i mean i definitely i think i definitely stretched the legs on that muzzleloader a little bit um there was a little bit of of luck in there with it as well but the deer died. I mean, he died instantly. It wasn't like I poorly placed shot. It just went all went perfect. But um, those Nebraska guys know their muzzleloaders too, and know what what uh, can push the limits. I had a kid I hired that he he showed me his Remington seven hundred muzzleloader. That thing. I mean, it's a bolt action muzzleloader. And you, yeah. you load it from the, the breech, I guess you call that the breech. It's not even really the breech. I like, think it's from the side, just like yeah. you would a rifle. And that thing puts more than a three by nine on it, put a four by 12 or whatever you want on the thing. And that thing is good to 300 plus. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's crazy. I have a friend here in Arizona and he custom builds muzzle orders and rifles. And uh, when I drew that tag, he was offering to let me borrow that gun to go do it and i'd be 100 percent honest with you i would have done it had we been able to link up he lives a couple hours away had we been able to link up i for sure would have got a an 800 yard gun oh yeah but i mean again that goes back to the conversation we had at the beginning of this you know it's if it's legal it's legal i can't you know people might be against that but it's legal so yeah um i anyways that's another in colorado if you had if you had a scoped uh and I do know Vortex makes a no magnification scope. I don't know if that benefits you at all, other than not being able to read like a fiber optics or a uh, just your typical open site. But a um, nope, that wouldn't even work. That works in South Dakota, I believe. Yeah, you can have you can have that scope um, with no magnification. But in Colorado, it's just if you got to hunt the elk rut, because they always get like the second week of September, uh, second week, it's rough. I don't ever remember where it's at, but second, it may, it might be second and a half. It always, yeah. You're anyway. talking the Colorado muzzy hunt. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it always falls right in the middle of that archery season. And it's perfect for hitting that rut. Like yeah, prime time. You're out there running around with a gun. And so many times if I had something with, 150 yards that I could reach out and poke, let alone 300. My gosh, you yeah. could be, you could be a successful hunter, really successful. And I, and mm-hmm. I know old guys will do that with their open sight, shoot hundred to 200 yards. No problem. But. And it, some of those, some of those muzzleloader hunts up there, uh, only take a few points to draw. So it's not like yeah. you're waiting a decade to draw yeah. that hunt. Yeah. And I'm not complaining about this. We're not complaining about this. It's a, it's an opportunity. It's there. Take it, go for it. But yeah, well, and I mean, that's, that's kind of leading up to what the rest of this conversation is going to be about with 
overcrowding and and uh, tag availability and, and making it harder to draw tags. Opportunity is there. Go do it. You know. It, yeah. So looking at now in Arizona, um, the I know a lot of those unit closures and things for the over the counter uh, makes it kind of hard for a guy to plan a hunt. If you had a plan, you buy your over the counter tag, and then based on quota, it closes for mule deer or coos deer. I don't know. You're gonna have to fill me in on some of this uh, to know how that that uh, all those closures were happening. Were they drought focused? Were they um, just new management focused? What's what's going on there currently with those over the counter uh, units that get closed off? So the idea behind it was a management focus. So they say, I'll leave it at that. Um, there's a lot of speculation behind, was it money driven? Was it management driven? But I mean, that's anytime agencies make decisions, I guess. Mm. It's uh, a biologist reasoning. Yeah. Talking to a biologist is. Yeah. It, it um, is so we'll, we'll go, we'll go on the leg of, it was a management thing. Uh, they were basing their tag allocations uh, for the deer, the, the over-the-counter deer hunting, archery deer hunting in Arizona. They're basing their tag allocations off of a buck-to-doe ratio of what they were seeing from the previous year, uh, doing aerial surveys, from my understanding, uh, and ground surveys, so just surveys in general. Um, but they were taking, you know, some units you would see would have 40 mule deer quota, and other units would have five. Uh, in like one of the units that I think had five, I hunt that unit frequently, and I'm like, "There's mule deer everywhere." Hmm. But and how so they come I up with five <laughs> exactly, and and I don't know. Um, but it it did it made it difficult to plan hunts. Um, fortunately for myself, I kind of I live here in Tucson, so I live within an easy hour to an hour and a half drive of many units. And so if I had a plan to go to this one and it was closed or going to close down this weekend, okay, it's easy for me to go somewhere else. But let's say you're coming here from South Dakota and you and I want to go hunt this unit. Well, if a, if a limit hits, we have until Wednesday to hunt that unit. So that's why if you look at the Arizona um, harvest reports, you know, if a quota was five, well, when the unit closed, there was 10 killed. Well, that's because... They can't just say, okay, it closes tomorrow because some people might be out of cell phone service or not be able to see, you know, up, get that information uh, readily available to them or updated regularly. So they give you that grace period. They post it today, and now this is good, today being Monday, and now this unit closes Wednesday. So that's how the closures were working. He's, and they do the same thing for bear, which is kind of nice. Um, so you get that little bit of buffer, mm. uh, and then once sundown on that Wednesday happens, that unit's closed. So that that helps. That helps a lot instead yeah. of a a twelve hour change of plans or twenty four hour change of plans. You've got you've got a few days to to work with. Yeah, but I guess where it becomes kind of a pain in the neck is you think of say you've been coming down to Arizona for five years hunting the same area. You've been successful over and over and over and over again. Well, then you're here for three days and the unit closes and you weren't able to harvest, but your hunt is planned for another 10 days. Well, now you've got to go try somewhere else completely different, which is, I mean, I think we all should do that. You shouldn't just live out of one spot, you know, 
try to have backups and, and backups to your backups. But um, guys coming from out of state that are planning on hunting Unit 14 now have to go to 14A, and they've never been in 14A. So they've got to go look into these new spots. And, and it, then they, you know, burns a couple days of their hunt. And it, it just, I, I can only imagine how tough it got for non-residents to have to come down here. But, I mean, that's part of the game. And this was also trying to help benefit Arizona residents as well. And this is our herd. I'm not trying to be greedy or stingy or anything, but this is our herd. We're the ones that pay into it all, you know. But you guys are paying into it too, so I don't see why we have to – I don't know. I'm kind of going off on a tangent. No, that's a, that. that's a constant battle, and, and everybody sits in different areas of resident, non-resident, almost like – hunting right <laughs> who gets the who gets yeah. this and that and each state handles that a little differently with their allocation of percentage percentage and when you're when you're talking these closures and that quota are you talking those are mule deer quotas it was essentially yeah the coos deer had the quotas as well but um i'm thinking of the units that i hunt coos deer quotas were like in the hundreds oh so a lot a lot more. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I ever saw a coos deer quota um, close. I don't think I ever once saw any unit close for. No, that's a lie. Because there was unit like a couple up north that had the quotas that were for both animals, or just had super low coos deer quotas. So now that I think about it, a couple of them did shut down, but a majority of the real popular coos units we're open all season long. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you think uh, the majority of the guys going down there are looking for those big mule deer, or are they looking for coos deer, or what's the where's the popularity lie? I think, oh man, that's a tough one. I was gonna, say, I think a lot of the popularity lies in in the coos deer because it's region specific. You know, like we, you don't have those everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you don't have the opportunity to go hunt those uh, all the time, except for here in Arizona. So I think a lot of people base their hunt on a little bit of being able to hunt both. You know, they're going to come down and go, okay, well, I'm going to come down and hunt coos. But if I see a 160 muley and it's still open, I'm going for it kind of mentality. Same conversation you and I had. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, exactly. When we were planning on you coming down, huh? Yeah. Same conversation because I was, the, the coos deer is not the reason why I'd come. It's just deer, uh, and a new area. I don't care what it is necessarily. I'm not trying to fill a species list of any kind. It doesn't, I'm never going to make any kind of huge list. So, uh, just the experience and the fun and hunting a new area with everything that pokes you, uh, mm-hmm. thought it would be kind of fun. So it yeah, didn't matter right. and absolutely not passing up 160 inch or bigger with my bow for sure. Right. And, a, and a coos deer, um, they're just a little small. They're so small 
that that's hard for a, a whitetail hunter to go look at and say, how's that not, how's that a big one? <laughs> right. But once you learn more about it, you can get that respect for them and through the picture text and things you and I've shared back and forth, have learned what is a respectable coos deer. And I would have no sh- problem shooting shooting one of those that would be what we would consider a year and a half little dink (laughs) but you'd consider that a a stud coos deer yeah and in with that like you know somebody coming from the east or whatever so i spent most of my life on the east coast i was born over there and then spent half my military career over there so i've hunted whitetail all over the east coast well then when i came here and people were like yeah you got to hunt these coos like what the hell? No, that thing's small. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to hunt whitetail. I've never hunted mule deer. I want to hunt mule deer. Mm-hmm. And then I got the itch for. I started hunting coos, and I got the itch for it and stuck there. But I do know a lot of people that do come here because we have quality mule deer across the state. And you know, we, we're known. We have the strip and the kaibab, um, which are hard hunts to get. But I see giant mule deer killed across the state every year, and so people are starting to catch on to that too. And I think they're coming here chasing primarily mule deer now. Um, the coos deer is a bonus, and they're, a lot of them are chasing primarily mule deer. But Drea came down, I think, two years ago, and they never went into coos country. They just stayed in mule deer country the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's transition. What's happening with the ability to draw these tags? And I loved your your video you posted weeks ago, <laughs> and and uh, I saw Row Resources. Uh, sharing that of you getting bullied, your bullying post. Uh, yeah, oh, the cyber bullying. Yeah, one. yeah. Don't cyber bully Ryan about what tags <laughs> you drew. That's freaking hilarious. Well, so I I get whenever the draws happen, uh, I get a lot of people that tag Hun Az and hey, I drew this tag, and absolutely that's what the page is there for, right? We're, <laughs> we're there as a community, and I'm not I'm. I didn't want that to be taken as a complaint at all, but that's exactly what we're there for. You know, everybody's excited. Let's share our stories and be excited together. Um, but then it was like, okay, I'm getting those. Then I was getting the messages. Oh, about time I drove an elk tag. And like just people DMing me about it. So I was like, you, and so I started getting on people just messing around, but going, yeah, you don't understand that you're hurting my feelings because <laughs> you're rubbing it in my face and people be like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, I'm just a messer. So I, that's how the whole video came about. Um, and I honestly didn't expect, I thought it was just a, a dumb video. Uh, and I, I made it and then held on to it for like a week and a half. I'm like, ah, hell, I'll just post it. And yeah. And it went way, it was, it had way more response than I thought. And then Chris shared it again. Chris and I have had conversations back and forth about tags and, and whatnot like that. So, <laughs> Um, I thought that was hilarious. That was great. You never know. Um, and, and as a guy that works in the, the social media world, uh, on the side, you, you know, you never know what gets crazy likes and things and what gets all kinds of traction. You never know. Yeah. But you you just never do. Um, yeah. Anyways, back to tags. Yeah. Is that, if that's where, yeah. Yes. That's that's where where we're we're at. So go on. What's, what's the future hold and what's the reason for uh our ability to draw what's what's your insight on that uh so i think the future i think the future holds i think it's going to get worse honestly to draw tags um i think it's just going to get harder uh whether it's government agencies cracking down and cutting tag numbers or 
um, more people moving in and out. So that that's kind of where I was going with this is I, I think a lot of it. So with Arizona is we've had this huge influx of people moving to this state. Uh, and I'm not just going to blame it on California. They're coming from other places, but we like to blame things on California. So hell, why it's not? easy to do. Go for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we've, we've definitely had a huge population increase. Um, so you've got more people coming here and people trying new things or people leaving these areas and now they're a resident here. So it's easier for them to draw things. And that's it. I mean, that you think about it, let's use a number of if last year we had 10,000 elk applications. Well, this year we had 15,000 and a lot of them are just new people moving. Uh, and then the other, the, the hard part about it is us as hunters, we're supposed to be stewards of the sport, right? Like we're supposed to be pushing this on to get the support from each other and help the sport grow. Well, we do that and we get people involved and we get people um, partaking in the things that we taught them or, or pushed them to do. But then we turn around and complain that we don't have, we can't draw tags. Or that it's well, overcrowded. <laughs> exactly. Right. So I, that that's kind of where that's kind of where my thoughts are on the the growing popularity of hunting and the lack of availability for tags. I don't know that it's a lack of availability. I think it's just a growing sport and people trying new things and people getting into it. Um, hopefully, it's kids. I mean, hopefully, we're getting a lot more kids into it. That's that's what I like to do. I'd like to. I want to try to get more kids into it, but. I've brought, I, I can think of five or six people that have never hunted before. And in the last five years, I, I got them into hunting and I've seen them kill deer without me. So it's like, well, they're growing, they're getting better. And it's, that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? As hunters and sportsmen is growing the sport. So I'd be curious to know, and the data is going to be skewed because uh, COVID messed up conservation groups fundraising but i'd yeah. be curious to know if there is the rocky mountain elk and mule deer foundation and all those conservation groups are seeing any sort of uh influx of of money and support if we have so many more people if we have more people joining the sport let's just i know it's not everywhere it's localized here and there let's say south dakota is one arizona is one colorado is one are we getting a little bit more support out there financially in those groups are they and the data is skewed because i know all those banquets were either canceled or uh the, and then 2021 was a rebound year those banquets were uh, weekly attended or uh, they had restrictions on them and all yeah yeah they just they're just not there and um I, I'm uh, on a, our Mule Deer Foundation board here in this local chapter, and we have we just had a little gunapalooza, they call them. It's not a full banquet. It's just two hours of come, get a drink, and uh, put your money into some buckets. <laughs> Buy some tickets, put them in a bucket, win some guns, out the door you go. Just a simple little thing. And we made money before the first pr people walked in the door. Just the pre-sales alone. It's like, well, we did better than we thought there. And this is a rebuilding chapter. It's one that doesn't even have uh, like, like outstanding attendance and membership. It's it's pretty, it's rebuilding. So um, yeah, it's just a thought. I didn't know. No, that, I think that's a good thought. I never, I never thought of that, of our 
are, is, is the growing population also being productive members of the community as right. well? I think, you right. know, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, so last year I did, I had a booth or I partnered up with one of the local archery shops here and, and had a booth with him, uh, at an SCI banquet, uh, here in Tucson. And it was the busiest I'd ever seen it. Like the place was packed and they weren't sure if we were going to have enough room for all the people. And they're talking about how much it's grown. Uh, I talked with Arizona Elk Society and they actually had to, this, I just did an event up in Phoenix with, um, with John Stallone, a bunch of other um, conservation groups here in Arizona, hunting groups and all that. Uh, and it was like a display at the Capitol, but I was talking to a guy from Arizona Elk Society and he said that their banquet had grown so big that they basically had to cut it down and do a pre-sale to members only before they opened it up to general public. Huh. And they were just about selling out of tickets before that even happened. So those are growing. Uh, there's another one that I do uh, with Outdoor Experience for All. They help um, disabled kids and disabled veterans get into the get into the hunting world and get them out to hunt. And the first year I went, I think there was six, 600 people there. Then last year, there was a little over 800 people. And then this year, they had to move to a, a bigger venue. And I think there are a little over a thousand people attending this thing. So, I mean, they're from, from what I'm hearing, they're growing. I don't know statistics and actual numbers on it, but from what I'm hearing, these, these organizations are growing and getting more money. Yeah. And if there's a lesson to be learned in any of this, instead of complaining and whining about what it used to be, what it is now, um, getting involved in those is, is a really good takeaway, whether that's you just show up to a banquet. I know we all get flooded with RMEF banquet chapters because they are doing pretty well. <laughs> they seem mm -hmm. to be doing pretty well. Uh, and we get banquet invites all over the place, but they're a really fun thing to do. My wife is not a hunter, but she loves going to banquets as long as she yeah. doesn't have to watch the kids at the same time. And yeah. we get to go and just uh, have a drink and she'll laugh about me putting my name down on a silent auction thing or uh how i I'll get a little selfish about where the tickets go but <laughs> she she and i have a good time with that and we've gone with some some friends in the past and that makes it a really good time when you when you got a group of people and you go and you get your receipt at the end of the year and there's your your donation tax write off uh for for uh charitable contributions Yep. Um, so there's, there's all kinds of benefits to that of giving some money to back to, to do some things for wildlife. And I'm sure a lot of places around you, uh, those guzzlers were not footed by the funding of that was not footed by, um, necessarily just the, the state agency, but I bet they were by the sheep foundation or something like that. Those, yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example. The Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society, they do a fundraiser, a fundraiser banquet every year. And I actually haven't been able to make it to one of those yet, but they do really well. And then this time of year, just before it gets hot, um, Eric, the guy that runs it all, he's sending me flyers for volunteers needed because they're taking that money and they're putting in new guzzlers in sheep country to help get these sheep water to make it through the summer. Uh, and, and a lot of it, you know, I've, I've seen some of them. I've hunted near them or whatever. A lot of them are benefiting the javelina and the mule deer as well. So it's, I mean, it, it's going across the board that, but to get back to your point, yes, that's not coming from the state agencies. That's coming from these small agencies that we can pour our passion and, 
and time and money into to help make a difference. Sure. And uh, so it is really banquet season, you know, now till, yep. till uh, season begins. So look around for those, whatever thing you want to jump into, look at their bylaws, look at uh, their site and see uh, kind of what they're about. And I've done that over and over again with various, various things of, Oh, wanting to, him trapping is important to me. So I like to be a, a trapping association member and, um, elk are important to me. So a Rocky mountain elk, but mule deer is one of those that I was like, man, I'd love to, that's, I think where I could see myself getting involved. Uh, and, and whether you get involved or not, at least go showing up to those banquets and dropping 50 to, I don't know, thousand bucks. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to drop that, but you can you, typically there's those 75 to 125 bucks for an evening gets you hopefully a prime rib. I like it when they do prime rib some yep. of those, um, and, and a few drinks and you're having a good time. It's, it's a fun, fun evening out. Yeah. And I mean, if, if you don't spend anything more than your hundred dollar entrance fee and you don't put in for the raffles or whatever, you still contributed you, it's a hundred bucks. It's more than you didn't contribute, you know, yeah. it's, you're at least putting in a part of it. So you don't have to go there and feel obligated to, to dump a bunch of money, spend your hundred bucks, eat dinner, drink a few beers, BS with some people and have a good time. Yeah. There's some connections to be made, uh, as well. We are, you're getting a network, learn about something. Maybe you create another opportunity or just another hunting opportunity, even though you can't really afford maybe one of those, maybe you start looking at doing the DIY style in that area. Like, Oh, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. Um, and my example is I grew up on a 40 acre little farm where for not all the way through high school, but we left in middle school, but that was a, in Eastern South Dakota, it had a Creek running through there and it had, I know muskrat and raccoon that visited it. And I know we had the occasional coyote and fox run through and in our trees, there was raccoons in there and possum, but I didn't trap. I didn't know it was a thing. I really wished I had known that trapping was a thing because I didn't get into it until college. Had I been trapping since I was a five-year-old, that would have been something, man, who knows what I know now about trapping. You still don't know. Trappers still need an entire lifetime to learn all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. the exposure wasn't there. I didn't know. Now I am seeing more exposure by listening to podcasts, by chatting with folks like yourself and getting in, in courage to go try new things. And just in the last three years, I have added uh, two other states that I have added to like full-on planned and um, completed hunts or going to complete hunts and probably three or four other states just buying preference points in. It's just just in the last three or four years. And that's the reasons for me, a little bit exposure, yes, uh, but also hunting is just it's just all wrapped around my life. Uh, you're right. But the also economic piece, I'm not a starving college kid. I mean, this economy doesn't really help right now. It's making things really tight, but you feel like a starving college kid. Yeah, I, I really do. <laughs> my wife and I are trying to go buy a, buy a bike for our kid for his birthday. We're like, oh, that one's 25 bucks more. It's like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. And our, and our electric bill is 300 some bucks a month. And like this, yeah. I thought we used to have a little bit of money we could do some things with. Where'd it go? It just gets sucked up in the utilities or gets sucked up in grocery bills and I get 
mad at Biden every time I walk out of a grocery store. Good thing I don't do <laughs> good thing I don't do any grocery shopping. My wife just does the the pickup, yep. so I go pick it up. If you gotta go in there and buy stuff, you just get angry. Yep, you do. Yeah. So anyway, the, the exposure. But yeah, so so you were saying exposure. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm exposed, getting exposed to those other states to go and and buy a preference point, and in the future I'm gonna go, and that's what's happening. Right. And think about the not even just the the face to face exposure, like we were saying. You know, you get at banquets and you get to meet and connect or whatever. But think about when we were kids. You would watch. You, you might get hunting channels on TV, depending on what, where you were, what showed up on your cable, whatever. But that was my exposure to Western hunting. And really, at the time, most of it was tree stand whitetail hunting. You know, you had the real tree guys and, and whatever, those shows, Michael Waddell, Dave Bland, and all those guys, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you didn't have the exposure to the elk and the Western hunting just slammed in your face all the time. And again, I'm an East guy. I grew up East coast. So it was whitetail and Turkey. That's what we hunted. Um, but then over the last 20 years, think about, and, and I hate to say this cause I'm a, you know, I do social media as a side gig, but social media has blown it up. You know, you can't get on any form of, so if you have anything to do with hunting or you hunt at all, you can't get on social media without seeing, a screaming, a video of a screaming bull pop up in your face or somebody archery hunting whitetail or, or um, mule deer or whatever. The, you know, these Western, these predominantly Western animals. And then you got YouTube, and you, which I'm, I'm not bashing any of it or any of the people that do it. I do it, so I love it. But people are being exposed and seeing more of it than they ever have before. And now they're like, oh, well, look at I can go do that. I can go hunt. Colorado for elk, or I can go do this in Arizona over the counter, uh, where 10, 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't being blown up on every piece of social media that there is. Or it wasn't even achievable. Like what, yeah, exactly. what those guys were doing. And I remember having those conversations with like my dad or something, or we would do our annual deer hunt. Uh, and it would, We'd, we'd always have success. We had, we had access to a really nice private ranch. It was great, but we didn't see giants and we didn't pass on this giant to see another giant to finally shoot the last giant. A lot of that stuff we saw on TV was, was not realistic. <laughs> it was, yeah, it absolutely. Was, that's, it was always the canned stuff. Maybe they were high fence. Maybe they were private ranches that they just paid a ton of money to go, go on. Um, or yeah, I don't know. I, I really watched a lot of fishing because that's all we had. I didn't have cable until like seventh grade. So it was whatever was on channel three on Sunday afternoon. And right. it was uh Babe Winkleman out of Minnesota at a fishing yep. show. And uh, Tony Dean is our South Dakota kind of legend. He had a, um, a hunting show that was mostly fishing though. Um, and then, so I recorded that when we went to church, I, I threw in the VHS hit record and then I watched the, watch the fishing once I got home. But uh, if we had YouTube to watch all of that stuff, man, there would have been, I would have, wouldn't have been there watching that. I would have been setting a trap line out behind cause there would have been a, a YouTube trapping thing I could have watched. Yep. Yeah. And, and so, that, I mean, the exposure thing going back, like I said, I did, I grew up chasing whitetail and Turkey. I never saw an elk in person in my life till I was like 23 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, to some people, that's wild. You live in elk country. 
UCL. I did, you know, never even saw that. I thought there's no way in my life I'll ever get to go hunt that animal. Well, you know, and then exposure and all this and everything starts to become a reality and it starts to get highlighted and it makes it much easier. You got like John Stallone said on your last episode, we have all the information in our pocket that we ever need to go hunt whatever animal we want to go hunt. You just have to make it happen. Now, before we didn't have that, the exposure to that information or the exposure to the animal and the locations and in Onyx and all that stuff. So um, social media and technology has also helped hunting grow and helped it become way more popular, which then in turn makes it harder to draw tags. Yeah, I think I was 25 when I heard my first elk bugle. And that's just because where we hunted in Western South Dakota, there wasn't elk. Well, and it was November. Uh, but yeah, I was 25, I think. And my buddy was like, are you serious? That's the first time you've heard that? Or that's the yeah. first time I, I, I can't remember if it was the first one I heard or the first one that I got to like respond to say something. Like that's the first time I've ever talked to an elk. <laughs> so, but it's like shoot that it's only 11 years ago <laughs> i remember i remember the first time i heard an elk bugle i was i was archery hunting colorado never i'd never been out west well i've never hunted out west in my life um we got off the quad it was dark and i heard this bugle and my wife's uncle was he was the one taking me around and he's like it's way out there and i'm like no you're deaf it's right here i thought it was like 50 yards you know no it's a half mile away or how however far away it really is a few hundred yards and i knocked an arrow and i'm like waiting he goes put your arrow away you got a ton of time we got a hike way over there then we got to call it in we got to do this and i'm like no he's right here no i had that arrow knocked for an hour and a half man i never put that thing away and then i ended up the first time i ever saw a bull elk was that bull and i missed him at 42 yards because i was so excited yeah just broadside as ever screaming and i shot right under him oh my gosh that's funny uh so there's there's lots of things we can do with this information that that we're talking about whether we can we can piss and moan about it or we can uh take it and use that as okay that's what's happening and understand that oh this is exciting our sport is growing how do we embrace that do we get encourage people to get involved uh, or, and then there's another thing we can do about it. It's just get smart about our tag purchasing and our uh, stuff we're, we're looking for. I was on the phone today with a, uh, officer in Colorado. I will not share the secret that I just learned. Absolutely not. <laughs> so, uh, and it has to do hey, with when we get off the phone, I'm going to have to talk to you just for a few <laughs> extra minutes. Yeah, we will. <laughs> uh, but it has to do with my goat hunt. I went on in 2019, um, but there's, there's some really cool stuff uh, that's available and unique opportunities. But then also, uh, if that's like you're talking about your kids, you got kids that are in, at a huntable age now, or one of them, uh, that now you can start looking at youth opportunities, whole different ball game. And you can go to Colorado for like a hundred bucks, something like that. hundred some for mm-hmm. an elk tag versus your 700. So why the heck not just have him carry the bow or rifle or gun or muzzleloader, who cares? And you can go have the exact same experience and have a ton of fun with your kid. And there you go, using youth to, to go have some to have the same fun or uh, dig into some of those unique opportunities. You hear about those 
those one percent sheep tags though that it's less than one percent uh a success rate on i kind of considered that it's like hmm i know that would be maybe maybe that tags is too expensive still even though <laughs> yeah my, that, that's my issue with those is the tags is too damn expensive yeah if there was one here in south dakota i think i'd jump on that i just talked myself out of it but i think there's still like 1200 2500 i don't know something ridiculous but uh there's an opportunity if you want to go sheep hunting you can go do it and that's what i think that's what a lot of it comes down to you know we were talking about that video i made about me not getting an elk tag and being bullied and whatever i mean i'll be honest i don't put in for tags with high draws uh there's a couple units that i hunt in arizona that i've helped um, a couple outfitters on their hunts or i've tagged along on other hunts or I've had some friends draw it. Um, they're just two premier units that I love. I know them well, and they hold giant bull. I mean, you're talking 400-inch type bulls. And so I've, I'm personally choosing that route of trying to draw that tag and knowing I'm most likely not going to. Uh, so when I sit here and complain that I'm not getting drawn, I do want people to know most of it is my own damn fault. There are plenty of units that I have enough points that I could go draw elk tags. And if I was really worried about or really like wanting the opportunity to, to hunt elk every year, I would just chase cow elk tags. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm limiting myself. I don't want anybody to think that that's how it always is or whatever, or I'm complaining about the system. No, no, this is my own doing. But if you want to hunt elk, there's opportunities out there. It all depends on what you want from the hunt and what you want from the opportunity. Do you want to go hunt premier units with 400 inch bulls or are you happy with shooting a 250 inch five by five, whatever. And you, but you get to hunt bulls, you get to hunt elk every three years. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's up to you. That's on your preference. That's what you have to figure out. So there are opportunities out there without having to wait a decade or more to draw an elk tag, yeah. you know? That's that's been the the change of mind since I moved away from Colorado is how do I keep elk hunting and have some different experiences because uh, I might have to I have a feeling and I've said it in the last podcast or one of them that that Colorado over the counter is going away it has to there's yep. there's not much left there that I am really concerned about this year and my dad and I are going I was just talking to him about this saying we might have some challenges. For sure. The whole Grand Mesa, the whole three or five units, four or five units is gone. I didn't hunt that, but actually, no, we did a little bit. Um, that that stuff is now off of the over-the-counter. You can still hunt that, but people aren't going to necessarily know that aren't educated, and they don't look ahead. So they're going to show mm -hmm. up thinking, I've been hunting Unit 42 for, for 15 years, and they're going to show up and realize, oh, crap not going to happen. Yep. Uh, and then there's also a bunch of tags cut over the flat tops area. Um, and that all even bigger all the way to, I think Walden and some of those areas where they're seeing such extreme snow levels that they're concerned about the wintering wildlife. So they're cutting back on some tags there. If that's something that goes away, then where are these hunters going to go wherever I'm at? <laughs> and, and the rest yeah. of those other over-the-counter units and it just keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking uh and the whole southwest part of colorado uh that whole area is there's like no over-the-counter down there yeah that's i used to hunt that southwest south central part and 
it used to all be over the counter and now it's all draw. Yeah. And you look at Montana. So this is something that I'd started digging into in one of the states I added. And boy, you got to watch some those Randy Newberg and uh, all those YouTube videos on how to understand Montana. But, um, and I watched a go hunt one just recently that really helped and hunting fool helped with that as well. But just the, uh, understanding of their tags and you look at how many of their units are general tag and you're like, Oh, there's a lot still. So it's so mm-hmm. it, those general over the counter or, um, I know Utah does general or any of those, if the, if the state's going to do general or over the counter, they got to do it. So it's the whole state or almost, you got to still have your trophy units. That's totally fine, but you got to have a lot of area. But if you get rid of all that, it doesn't work. It's just going to have the overcrowding and not, and have that experience. That's just not a whole lot of fun. Yeah. We mentioned Drea just a little bit ago. She just posted a a YouTube video that Ridge patrol put out and they said they got to a trailhead with 17 vehicles in it. Like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so, I mean, going full circle back to where we started this with the overcrowding and then going into the Arizona over the counter tags, that's what that became a huge issue this year as we had the quota implemented unit whatever shuts down well where's everybody going to go they're going to go to the next closest spot the next closest unit right. but then you get there and and there's units that I've there's areas that I've hunted where I see yeah maybe three or four vehicles the gen, the whole the length of the hunt and it's always the same three or four throughout the area but then it was like every day new vehicles coming through new hunters everywhere and it was just complete overcrowding because they're shutting something down. Everybody's going to move to go do something else somewhere else. But I yeah. couldn't believe going to a trailhead and having 17 vehicles. I would just turn around and have to go back. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, I'm going to have plan A through Z. Uh, so far, I've got plan A through B, maybe C. Um, <laughs> I got a lot of planning to do for this this hunt for Dad and I. But it'll it'll still be fun. We have a... We have a good mm-hmm. time and, and, uh, it's chasing elk. So you can't, can't beat that. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I guess our takeaways really for me are in this whole conversation, not just this one, but the, the this conversation I've had over the, over the last even six months has been to really think about how, what my tags are and how and I'm going to be smarter about it. And then I really want to keep encouraging. That's another thing I'm going to push even more. Uh, after this conversation is pushing folks to uh, make sure they're giving back to those conservation groups. Um, just to, if, if you are new and you're wanting to get, have, have more opportunity, well, Rocky Mountain Elk and, and Mule Deer and whatever foundation, sheep, whatever you want. <laughs> those, those got to have some support. So those I think are my, my main takeaways. Yep. Can't just pull from the system. You got to add to it, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess my takeaway is if you got, if you're finding, if you're finding it to where you're not able to get the tags, just do your research, dig into it and find where opportunity can be had. Find a way to change your system, find a way to change your mentality and go get the opportunities. They may not be the trophy opportunities, but you're, you're hunting elk, you're hunting deer, you're getting into the general opportunities that are going to get you experience, going to get you time in the woods. Uh, and, and that's about all I got for that one. So, yeah, couldn't agree more real quick again. Uh, if you want to see what's going on in Arizona and see some monster bucks and bulls and all kinds of 
whatever you got for big squirrels down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Follow Hunt AZ on Instagram and uh, um, go get some. Uh, what I didn't know is is uh, how, how much you guys are doing with apparel. So go and check that out. And anything else you want to plug with that? No, man, that's about it. I really appreciate the shout out there. I yeah. appreciate you having me. You bet. All right. Well, thanks, Ryan. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, Clint. Yep. This is God's country.